Ceylon, the Island of Jewels by Leopold Clermont. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The gem minerals with which Ceylon is so generously endowed are remarkable, not only for their beauty, but also on account of the great variety of them. Although the diamond, opal, emerald, and peridot are conspicuous by their absence, all the other well-known transparent gems are abundantly represented in the island. There are also many very beautiful precious stones with which the general public at all events is more or less unfamiliar. The principal mineral is corundum, of which the red and blue varieties constitute the gems ruby and sapphire. It, however, also occurs in a long series of different colors of varying shades, which range from the ruby red to delicate rose pink, from the royal sapphire to sky blue, from plum to violet and lilac, and from golden orange to primrose. There is also a most attractive rich salmon pink variety, resembling the tint of the sunrise rose, and which is known in Ceylon as patparagum, and very rarely only the mineral is found green in the island. In central Queensland, however, at a place called Anaki, the green variety is fairly plentiful, while the red and purple are entirely absent. Some of the corundum gemstones exhibit the phenomenon of asterism, that is, they display a bright, shimmering, six-pointed star, with the rays divergent from the center of the stone when it is cut with a smooth, convex surface. They are found almost exclusively in Ceylon. A few ruby star stones are found in Burma and under the name of asterias or star stones are highly valued by connoisseurs when of choice quality. For some unknown reason, the yellow and green varieties of corundum do not exhibit the phenomenon of asterism. Another gem mineral possesses a similar extensive range of color, except that yellow is missing, is the spinel. Some specimens of this somewhat resemble rubies and sapphires and are therefore often described as spinel rubies and spinel sapphires, respectively. It is, however, very much softer than corundum, and is one of the three gemstones occurring in the form of crystals which are singly refractive, the other two being diamond and garnet. There is a remarkable flame-red variety of spinel, the color of which is unique in the whole mineral world, not even excepting the ruby. It is an exquisite gem of great value. The crystal beryl is an attractive gemstone, although its beauty is somewhat unappreciated. It occurs in shades of autumn green, brown, and yellow, and possesses great brilliancy. There are, however, two varieties of this gem mineral which form well-known and valuable precious stones. Of these, the most important is known as the alexandrite. Fine examples of this gem by daylight appear pistachio green, changing to rich mulberry red by artificial light. Ceylon is the chief source of alexandrites, although a few are found in Siberia. The other important variety of chrysoberyl is the cymophane, or cat's eye, which, when cut with a smooth convex face, presents a narrow white line glittering across it, which has a fancied resemblance to the iris of a cat. The position of the line or ray alters as light strikes it from different angles, giving a peculiarly mysterious effect. Cymophanes are only found in Ceylon. The rarest and most curious of all precious stones are those cat's eyes which change from green to red, as do the alexandrites. By the superstitious natives, the cymophane is considered to be an entombed spirit, and this can be more readily understood than many other similar conceits 
because of the strange resemblance of the stone to the eye of an animal. Many shades of soft yellow, brown, cinnamon, and green are displayed by specimens of the mineral jargoon, or zircon. This gemstone is strangely unappreciated, for not only is the coloring most pleasing, but the brilliance is second only to that of the diamond. Another reason why the neglect of the zircon is unaccountable is that this beautiful gem is comparatively inexpensive. The writer has only space briefly to complete the list of precious stones of Ceylon, for his object is to give the reader some idea of the manner in which they are handled. There are garnets, red, brown, violet, and cinnamon, topazes, white and blue, tourmalines, red, claret, green, yellow, and blue, aquamarines or beryls, sky blue and sea green, besides iolotes and moonstones. From the foregoing paragraphs it should be apparent that these gems present a pageant of color unequaled by those of any other district. From the finding of a precious stone in a riverbed or gem pit, to its use as a jewel by a woman of fashion, it passes through many strange hands and undergoes much alteration in appearance. The securing, cutting, polishing, and marketing of such a large number of gems necessarily comprise an important industry. The entire trade is controlled locally by the moormen, many of whom are extremely wealthy. The foremost of them not only buy up the most important stones as they are found from time to time, but send out expeditions into the principal gem-producing areas to search for them. They all either retain their own cutters or superintend the work given out to be done. No foreigner is admitted within the magic circle of the moormen except as a customer. The moormen are descendants of the moors who once occupied Ceylon and of whose forts large ruins still exist in the island. The value of the precious stones annually exported to Europe and America from Ceylon is estimated at three million pounds, and high prices, especially for choice specimens, are realized locally from travelers and tourists. The gemstones are of igneous origin and have been loosened from the granite and gneissic rocks in which they were formed by disintegration. They are found in a stratum of alluvial gravel which is known to the natives as Ilam, which is reached by digging pits of from three to thirty feet in depth. They are generally in the form of more or less water-worn nodules, undamaged crystals being very rare. When the pits are deep, the Ilam is hoisted to the surface by means of a primitive kind of wooden crane, and it is then carried to the nearest stream or pool to be washed. It is often found in low-lying spots, and old disused gem pits which have become filled with water are available for the washing of the gem-bearing material. The ilum consists of gravel embedded in yellow or reddish clay and is usually brought to the surface in a dry condition, but when the gem pit is below the level of a neighboring stream, it is rather muddy. Sometimes the stratum of ilum crops out or is exposed upon the surface of the country, and this is generally found to occur on the slopes and banks of rivers and streams. When this is the case, very little excavation is done, as the material is more easily obtainable. The searching for gems is carried on from October to March. The washing is done by means of a circular, basin-shaped basket, about 28 inches in diameter and 12 in depth, which is called a gemming basket. The native, wading up to his knees, holds the basket in the water. A circular, turning movement is given to the basket, which is occasionally allowed to tilt below the surface of the water, and in this way the lighter stones slip over the edge and the heavier ones remain in the basket. After a good many baskets full of gravel have been washed in this way, the residue, which is found to contain 
thorionite and thorite and other heavy minerals is carefully searched for gemstones the number of gems found of insignificant value is extremely large in proportion to that of the choice specimens so that often a great deal of work is done before there is any prospect of recompense when an important stone is discovered there is great excitement among the natives and many would-be buyers eagerly endeavor to outdo each other in obtaining a bargain the price asked is generally several times greater than that which is eventually accepted and by continual bartering the gem changes hands repeatedly also there are ever ready pilfering fingers to purloin from the rightful owner or to substitute an inferior stone for one of good quality the diggers and washers are continually watched to prevent anything of the kind from taking place it is a matter of great difficulty for europeans to obtain details or photographs of the gemming industry for the natives are very jealous and secretive and object to company upon their expeditions they are also exceedingly superstitious and believe in all sorts of devils and evil omens they will not even allow one of their own women to go near a gem pit because she would be sure to bring bad luck to it there are several extensive districts in the island where precious stones occur but the most productive locality is the hilly country of saffragan the chief town of which is ratnampura or in other words the city of rubies nearly all the different kinds of gems are found occurring together the exceptions being moonstones amethysts and alexandrites the last of which are principally derived from gaul the natives have a great prejudice against sending gems out of the island in the rough state and always cut and polish them locally this is due to their anxiety to see exactly to what extent the beauty of each stone is developed by the cutting and thus accurately to estimate the value they do not care to part with the rough stones for europeans to reap the benefit of any increase in value the cutting and polishing is done by the singalese upon perpendicular leaden wheels smeared with emery against one side of which the gem is pressed with the left hand while the wheel is rotated by means of a bow and cord held in the right the whole apparatus is most simple and primitive the success of the work depending entirely upon the skill of the operator the cutters squat upon their haunches behind the wheels and sometimes an overseer watches the progress of work to prevent theft much of the cutting is done by the roadside in view of every passerby but many little tricks of the trade are withheld from public view the native gem cutter's chief object is to so manipulate the precious stone that the maximum of size and weight is retained often to the sacrifice of symmetry and brilliancy they are wonderfully adept at retaining and regulating the color which in some gemstones is not of uniform density throughout and in dexterously hiding feathers and flaws owing however to irregularity and also to the want of symmetry and proper proportion it is generally found that the gemstones in the native cut condition are unsuitable for the requirements of high-class european jewelry it is therefore necessary before they can be used for the purpose that they shall be recut by a skilled lapidary with a knowledge of mineralogy and optics in principle the apparatus used by the european gem cutter is similar to that used by the moor in ceylon the wheel is however made of copper and diamond dust and revolves horizontally instead of perpendicularly the operator sits at a bench and places the gem mounted on a small ebony holder against the surface of the wheel which he rotates by means of a crank held in the left hand although the apparatus is simple much expert knowledge skill and experience are requisite for success in this delicate and artistic craft 
End of Ceylon, the Island of Jewels by Leopold Claremont.